Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman and her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by our, our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hi, everyone. We are doing things a little bit different this week because, frankly, this past week has been a little bit different. <laughs> All of us have been watching the results of the 2020 election. It truly seems never ending with vote counts and lawsuits. So we wanted to give you a live update so that you can get the most up-to-date information. Don't worry, if you missed the live portion, we are uploading it to all of our platforms so you can come back later and listen. You may have already noticed that we have a third talking head here. I think he's beside me. <laughs> we are excited to have Club for Growth Vice President of Government Affairs, Scott Parkinson with us today. You may remember him from episode 19 called Coronanomics Part Two where he broke down the legislative responses to the coronavirus. He also has amazing insight into this year's election. Club for Growth does amazing work across the nation in key races. So check them out when you get a chance. Thank you so much, Scott, for being with us today. Well, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so there is a lot that happened in this past week. Can you just give us the current status of where things stand? Yeah, uh, right now there's a lot of races that just haven't been decided yet. Uh, the House stands at 215 to 196. The Democrats look like they're in position to maintain their majority, but Republicans did a good job picking up seats. Yeah. And, um, you know, we think that uh, Democrats will have a small majority, but it'll certainly create a different uh, scenery and different dynamic in the House leadership and her relationship with uh, sort of that that big progressive movement, the squad and and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the uh, representative from New York. So Republicans were in a lot of really competitive races. There's still several that haven't been called. Um, we have a pretty good chance at winning some of those close races. Uh, but we also picked up a couple of uh, seats that were held by Democrats. And, you know, going into this, we had a major fundraising disadvantage. It was kind of unclear if Republicans' uh, lack of appearances on televisions would be overwhelmed by what the progressive left and their grassroots advocacy were able to put out there. Um, I think that Republicans were outspent by about 80% overall. Hmm. And... Uh, you know, that that certainly gives them an advantage in close races. President Trump also, in a big way, got a lot of these races across the finish line by boosting turnout for Republicans. And we think that there were coattail effects in a lot of these districts uh, for the Republican winners. And so even though um, we're in a tough situation on the overall electoral map and how tight all that was, Trump did carry some of these House candidates across the finish line. In the Senate races, uh, we are headed to a runoff in a couple of these uh, big, big Georgia races with Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. I know we'll talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure. And then we also have uh, Tom Tillis's race and Dan Sullivan's races that just haven't been called yet, but the Republican is in very good position in both those races to be declared the winner. Um, so yeah, let's, let's unpack some of these races if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
you mentioned the Georgia runoff. Uh, Eagle Farm Pack just recently endorsed Purdue and Loeffler in those races because this could determine the balance of the Senate. And it we've seen their importance over the last four years, especially when it comes to federal judges and the Supreme Court. And so if if we can't have the House and we we don't know what's going to happen with the White House, but let's say it goes to Joe Biden, like let let's at least keep the Senate. So um but Clever Growth does so much research into those kind of races and um it, that's such encouraging news with those outcomes. Um can you talk you talked a little bit about how it's affected the balance of Congress and the Senate. Um that's that's huge. Uh what do you see let, let's talk specifically about the Georgia race. What do you see happening? Um yeah. I think isn't the runoff election at like mid January? It's January fifth. Okay, January fifth. Uh, that'll be, you know, a, a plenty of time for the Georgia public to understand the different positions between the two candidates. Obviously, uh, Raphael Warnock taking on uh, Kelly Leffler, and then you have John Ossoff taking on David Perdue. Ossoff has previously run statewide, and Raphael Warnock obviously raised a ton of money in his own race. Uh, to advance to the to the runoff election, and so I think that the you know main reason we have so much time bef- between the election is because you have to allow for absentee overseas ballots to come in, and so there are federal uh, statutes that determine the length between a general election and a runoff for those reasons. But um, you know it's going to be a lot of money spent in this state for two races, same state balance of power in the Senate. Uh, we know what a Senate majority has been able to accomplish over the past six years since Republicans won in 2014. It means really three Supreme Court justices. It means getting tax reform done. You know, we gave uh, the Obamacare repeal a, a real uh, decent effort. We tried, we failed. Uh, that was in a bit, an inability to actually have the votes to advance the big Republican agenda and priority there in repealing Obamacare. But we also know that uh, obviously the Senate is important when it comes to confirming nominees. Uh, If Joe Biden does become the president and is sworn in in January, a Republican Senate can have a lot of leverage on uh, how those votes shake out to, to confirm certain people to positions in the executive branch. And so I, I think that uh, that's something to definitely keep our eye on over the next really like uh, six, eight weeks. Um, in the Senate, you know, we we have a lot that we can learn from these uh, specific races that we were successful in. Democrats ran strong candidates in several of these races. And overall, Republicans did pretty well. We did lose in Colorado with Cory Gardner and in Arizona with Martha McSally. But pretty much for the rest of it, we held the line and we actually picked up a seat in Alabama with Tommy Tuberville defeating uh, Doug Jones. And then in Michigan, we came pretty close with John James uh, taking on Gary Peters. So, uh, you know, we can learn different things in different parts of the country, whether it's the Rust Belt 
with an African-American candidate that was a top-tier candidate for Republicans, or if we're looking to understand uh, what you know various issues mean in Arizona and how close that was uh, at the top of the ticket and then also in the Senate race. Um, then, you know, looking at uh, Montana, Steve Daines defeated uh, Governor Bullock, and Bullock was a very, very strong candidate for them. And in the end, uh, we came out on top because I think Steve Daines has actually done a pretty good job for his state. And it showed that Republicans do have the votes to win elections in close races. Montana's not really a battleground state. They do occasionally elect a Democrat, but uh, I would say that, you know, President Trump. He helped a lot in those Montana races. We also won the Montana at-large seat with Matt Rosendale, and we also run the, won the gubernatorial race with Greg Gianforte. So yeah. I think a lot of people probably are wondering, why does Georgia have two runoffs? Yeah. Well, the reason is, is because in Georgia, when there are more than two candidates, they require somebody to finish over 50% plus one of the vote in order to avoid that runoff, you need to have a majority of the entire electorate. And in these cases, there were other candidates on the ballot. In uh, It's called a, a runoff election, but it's a jungle runoff, meaning you have the same parties in the same primary and the top two candidates advance. Um, so in, in, in both cases, it was a Republican and a Democrat. But with Kelly Leffler, she faced Doug Jones, a representative from the 9th Congressional District in Georgia. And uh, Congressman Jones was a really, really strong candidate. He's a former ranking member on the House Judiciary Committee and really navigated a lot of that process through the Judiciary Committee for President Trump's defense on uh, the impeachment inquiry. So he was well known to sort of the Fox News viewership, was a strong candidate, but he ultimately finished in third place. So that's why Kelly Leffler is taking on Raphael Warnock. Warnock actually finished with a higher percentage in that jungle primary, but he shouldn't be viewed really as a front runner. Uh, this should be viewed as a tight, tight race with a lot of stakes uh, that are in play. But it also, I think, is something that Republicans feel pretty good about going into. We just want to make sure that we run through the tape and run a strong runoff election campaign. That's good. We had a, a lot of good wins in the House, too. And um, the majority of Eagle Forum PACs endorsed candidates won, which was awesome news. Um, one of my favorite races was the Chip Roy, Wendy Davis race. And Chip Roy, I have to say, is is one of my favorites. And so I would have been really sad to see him lose. But he pulled it through Planned Parenthood and, you know, all the pro-abortion or organizations were funneling money into that race and Chip Roy still came out ahead, which was great. Um, but let's yeah. talk about some of the other house races. Um, so this has been deemed the year of the Republican woman. And um, we picked up at least 15 additional Republican women. I think we, there were more that came out today and over the weekend. Um, but I, I know for sure at least 15 uh, and that's going to be, we hope that it's going to be great for pro-life issues, for women's issues, for um, so-called equality issues. Um, what do you see that coming forth over the next couple years? Honestly, it, it is a uh, feather in the cap to the recruitment overall of the candidate quality that I think um, the Republicans had. 
in some of these races, we had top tier candidates in what I call a top tier race. That's like the perfect match made in heaven for running a, a close campaign in these battleground districts. You need to have not just a top tier district with anybody. You need to have top tier candidates against incumbents to win those races. And in a, in a few of these races across the country, I think that there were rising stars that came to the challenge and pulled out close wins. Um, one of my personal favorites is Lauren Boebert in Colorado three. She won a primary against a Republican incumbent, Scott Tipton back in June. And then, uh, she was endorsed by club for growth and, and several other groups. There was, you know, endorsements from governor Christy Nome and, uh, you know, really uh, meeting with the president, doing national TV hits. And she ended up winning a, a very, very uh, tight election. I think it ended up being about 51 to 46 percent or so. Um, but anytime you have the Republican right around 50 percent, it's one of those races to watch. And um, so I look for people like her to, to take a, a lead role in communicating a message and a policy vision on a lot of these really important issues uh, Nancy Mace down in South Carolina won. That was actually a flip seat that she defeated Joe Cunningham in. Joe Cunningham had previously uh, won his election in, in 2018. He took the old Mark Sanford seat. Sanford loses in a primary, and then the Democrat wins the general. So that was a R plus 10 seat. We felt really good about our odds. But, um, you know, Cunningham raised a lot of money, and Nancy Mace did too. We feel real happy about winning that race. Um, and then there were other uh, non-club type candidates that did a good job running a campaign and were able to also flip seats. And, you know, I think about uh, Salazar down in Florida. I think about Maliotakis in, in New York. She Her race hasn't been called, but she's in a really, really good position. I think she's up 37,000 votes right now, um, 57 to 42 percent. You know, that race should be called. But in New York, they sometimes try to produce votes in order to, uh, I kid, I kid, kind of, but, you know, <laughs> sure. they're counting down still, and we'll see how it shakes out, and I do think that she'll be declared the winner there. Claudia Tenney flipped a seat against Anthony Brindisi um, in New York 22. Uh, Beth Van Dyne won a Republican uh, race in Texas 22. That's really an open seat. It's not a flip, but uh, we're happy to, to maintain that. Um, and so really, you know, the, the, the sort of portrayal of the Republican party as being rich old white guys, Trump expanded that into a, a number of other coalitions, certainly the confirmation of judge now justice, Amy Coney Barrett really made a big difference in turning out a lot of, uh, conservative women to the polls. And, you know, we're just ex really ecstatic at the level of enthusiasm from a lot of uh, these, you know, voters that really are typical base voters, but sometimes just don't think that their vote matters as much. And we learned that in a lot of these states, it is incredibly tight. These races are really, really close. And, you know, uh, their elections have consequences. So um, I'm, you know, very, very excited for these new members that are coming in. And uh, we know that they're going to have a lot to be uh, handling from the progressive left and sort of fighting fighting that uh, vision of socialism that many of the progressives want to have and sort of force down the throat of other Democrats in their caucus. 
So let's talk about two scenarios here, the best case and the worst case. Uh, so let's start with the opt optimistic outlook first in the White House. What yeah. is the best possible outcome of everything that is going on right now? Well, it ain't over till it's over. There's definitely a legal challenge that continues. President Trump and his legal team are mounting a defense that uh, there was fraud in the election in a lot of these closed states. So, uh, you know, whether or not the states actually segregated ballots that continue to be counted, I think that that's something that'll be adjudicated. Uh, you know, were they accepting ballots that um, were coming in after the election date? Some states were allowing that to already be a part of the process. You might remember that in North Carolina, the Supreme Court ruled that they could accept absentee ballots for up to nine days. Now, that doesn't mean that they could be postmarked past the election date, but that meant how long absentee ballots could be received and still count toward the final count. So there may still be eligible voters that haven't had their, their ballot casted yet, uh, excuse me, haven't had their ballot counted yet toward the official vote tally, but we do think that, uh, you know, we've got a, a good position here and and we're ready to, to fight the legal path forward. President Trump will probably take, I'd say, three or four weeks to really explore his legal options. I don't anticipate him giving up this easily. He has always proven to be a strong fighter, and uh, he got a record number of votes for a Republican candidate, and I think it's really uh, up to debate on whether he earned, uh, you know, as many as Joe Biden did when you look into some of the way, ways that these were counted when it count, comes to declaring states in the Electoral College. But still, 71 million votes is a big, big number of Americans that are paying close attention to the outcome. And I think President Trump feels like he owes it to those voters to explore all of his legal options. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. President Trump sort of. has, has done amazing things in the last four years. But I'd say one of his biggest accomplishments is getting people to pay attention to politics. I mean, to have this massive voter turnout, whether it was for him or against him, that's that's huge. So yeah. I, he can at least take that and put that in his hat. Um, yeah. So right. I'll ask the downer question. Yeah. Um, as we all know, Joe Biden has been the projected winner. And these this is by news media. So no electoral votes yet or, or college votes. And he's already given his acceptance speech. So he's on a roll. Um, if in the end he is officially declared the winner, is this the worst case scenario? Um, you know, I think the worst case scenario would actually be if Democrats were real competitive in these Georgia runoff races and Democrats somehow get that unified government. Uh, we know that Democrats would abolish the legislative filibuster and force a majority uh, agenda down the throats of Americans that relies upon socialism and really taking away individual freedoms, whether that's the Second Amendment or if it's your property rights. Um, Democrats have this idea out there that they want to confiscate as much of our wealth as they can in order to grow government programs. And that's overall, that's intrusion upon 
the uh, God-given rights that we have as American citizens underneath our Constitution. And so we need to be cognizant of what our rights are. I think that the Republicans are uh, certainly well-equipped to maintain that Senate majority. We can win both of these races, but the worst-case scenario would be somehow the Democrats gain control of the Senate and then, you know, really with unified government, go on a, on a two- to four-year binge uh, until we can regrasp uh, majority control through our party. Yeah. And I, and I want to give a bit of encouragement here. I, over the last four years, we've really had a lot of wins. But I specifically want to point out the placement of federal judges, like we've mentioned before, and three Supreme Court justices. This lasts much longer than a presidential term. So if there is a Democrat in the White House or a Democrat majority in the House or Senate, we have good judges that will hold their policies accountable. We don't have to take this as a complete loss. So, um, you know, we'll be fighting to and hope, hoping that we can keep the Senate majority, that we can keep a Republican in the White House. But in the end, um, Trump has made lasting changes that that we'll see for generations. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, so Scott, how can our listeners keep up with this information as, as it rolls out? And is there any way that they can engage in the meantime? Yeah, I mean, uh, if any of your listeners are in Georgia, there's a lot that they can do to engage and to volunteer at the local level to get out the vote. Uh, you know, building up to January 5th, there, there will be, I think, early voting beginning like the second week of December. So there's still going to be a long time for people to cast ballots. This isn't, you know, just a 24-hour period. It'll be a long election. Um, and if you're an activist throughout the country and you're looking at trying to find a way to, to save America, uh, you're going to be looking uh, maybe to put in, you know, $25 or more, whatever you can do um, to really hold that last line of defense against a complete change of the way that we as a people are governed by our government. So uh, I think that, you know, if you're a politically active person, you know uh, what's happening day to day. I think a lot of us are really glued to the, to the television, to other podcasts, to social media, and we can filter through the nonsense that's out there and then we can understand that uh, it hasn't totally, you know, been lost. Uh, there hasn't been a final declaration. Nobody's conceded. The, you know, watch the legal battles in your states, uh, but you know, continue to hold those accountable that are in these public positions. Because uh, when there's wrongdoing that is found, we need to make sure that we follow through on it and that the law is enforced. So if people are committing fraud, uh, you know, I would hope that a uh, justice department doesn't ignore. Uh, what exactly is happening there? Because we you know we need a nonpartisan uh, justice system. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I I didn't prep you for this question, but I've seen a lot of people uh, jump from Facebook or Twitter over to Parler because we've seen a lot of censorship over people sharing their opinions or even legitimate news about the elections. Is Club for Growth on Parler? Do you know? <laughs> Um, I think we are, yeah. Uh, I am, personally. Okay. I have uh, an account. I've had one for probably about a year and a half. But oh. um, I do think that there's a real question there with the way that tech 
is stifling information. And uh, it, it seems that if you're a, a pretty neutral person and you step back and you look at the content that they take down and some of the content that they allow to stay up, um, there is a bias that exists there. And, you know, we just had um, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack from Twitter uh, testifying before Congress. Um, I think that there's more to get to the bottom of uh, when it comes to the way we investigate the power that some of these companies have as a publisher and what that means they should be, how they should be regulated. Uh, they don't want to be known as a publisher. They want to be known as a basically a, a large business. But uh, the bottom line is when they're determining what content remains and, and what comes down, they're acting like a publisher. And so it'll be up to the courts to decide if uh, they should be permitted to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Engage with Eagle Farm just got our first parlor account over the weekend. <laughs> so you can find us there and this will be our first episode on there. Um, and you can find Eagle Form there as well. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Scott. And I know you're a busy guy and you're trying to filter through all these races. So we appreciate you being with us. For those yeah. watching or listening to this episode, we at Eagle Forum have a way for you to engage today. We have a petition you can sign that urges our local, state, and federal officials to verify every vote, every legal vote that is. You can find that at eagleform.org and we'll have it posted on our social media throughout the week. Please be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts, share with your friends, and leave us a review. You can find us on all of the major social media outlets, including Parlor Now and at engagewitheagleform.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum. Thanks so much, Scott. Thanks for having me.